We mentioned last week how the book of Ruth is taking place during the days when the judges rule. It was a dark and disturbing and chaotic time. Uh, One of the most prominent aspects of the horror that that time was known for was the horrible relationships between men and women. It actually starts out pretty promising with a man named Othniel and his wife Axa, but that optimism at the beginning doesn't last very long. Here's just a sampling of the sorts of conflict that we see playing out between men and women uh, during this 350-year period of time in Israel's history. Women were captured by men from other countries as prisoners of war, chapter 5. One of Gideon's sons killed all of his brothers in order to try to gain power for himself. He was killed by a woman who dropped a stone on his head, chapter 9. Jephthah sacrificed his own daughter after he made a foolish vow, chapter 11. Of course, there's that super twisted conflict between uh, Samson and Delilah that we see play out in chapter 14. And there's the very disturbing account of the concubine who was abused and murdered by the men of Israel in chapter 19. And then by the end, all the women from the tribe of Benjamin had been killed by other Israelites. And so the men resort then to kidnapping women from other towns in order to have their own wives. So when the author of Ruth says... In the days when the judges rule, these are some of the dark stories that would be coming to mind for that original audience. There was no king, so everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes. Self-centeredness ruled. There was an absence of healthy authority, and the result was a broken-down community. And so it's against that dark backdrop that this brilliant little narrative about Ruth and Boaz shines all the more brighter. In the first chapter that we covered last week, we were introduced by the family of a man named Elimelech. He and his wife, who's named Naomi, their two sons, they moved to Moab during a time of famine in Bethlehem. Her sons married two women from Moab, uh, but during the time that they stayed there, about 10-year period, uh, Naomi's husband and both of her sons died. She was past her childbearing years, She was left without anyone to help protect her and provide for her, but she heard that the famine that drove her to Moab from Bethlehem was ending, and so she said, well, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem, and so she intends to go back. Her daughter-in-laws still plan on going back with her. They're on the way there, and Naomi tries to convince them to not come with her. Don't stick with me. Go back home. Your prospects will be much better if you just stay in Moab. One of the daughter-in-laws agreed, says, it sounds great. You're probably right. The other one, named Ruth, decided to cling to Naomi. She committed herself to Naomi. She committed herself to Naomi's people, her city, and to her God. So these two widows have traveled back to Bethlehem together, and they've just arrived at the proper time for the barley harvest. That's how the end of chapter 1 meets us, and that's where we're picking up this morning in chapter 2, which is the, the second act of the narrative that the author is putting together for us. And we're going to look at this in three sections as we go through it, just following along as the the locations shift and change. So this chapter begins with Naomi and Ruth having a discussion at home in the morning. And then at the end, Naomi and Ruth are having another discussion at home in the evening. And in the middle, there is this encounter with this new character that we're just meeting for the first time named Boaz. Before we dive in, Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us this morning to 
to glean from your word, uh, to recognize that we don't, we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. So I pray that you would uh, speak to us now through your word, uh, by your spirit, encourage us in your gospel. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the first scene, scene one, orchestrating Ruth's providential appointment. This will be the first location, verses one through three. I'm going to read just verse 1 for us. It says this. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. This, this verse is like a quick little parenthetical statement that's sort of taking us out of the narrative flow real fast just to introduce us to this new character. There's some information that we need to know about him. He's introduced as a relative of Elimelech. Now, we don't know exactly how he's related to her, but we know that he is from the same clan. And he's introduced as a worthy man. A worthy man. It's the way that our ESV translates it. More literally, there are two words there, actually, that he is a mighty and strong man. Mighty and strong. And those two words come together in various places in the Old Testament to describe different kinds of people, people who are like military leaders, people who are wealthy, people who have high status, who are influential, who are virtuous. And so the translators have used the word worthy to try to capture all of those ideas. Other translations say that he is a prominent man of noble character or a man of great wealth or a mighty man of excellence. But you get the point. He's being introduced as a mighty, mighty good man. And he's related to Naomi's husband somehow. We don't understand how. But we have to keep in mind that Ruth doesn't know any of this information, okay? This is just information that the narrator is giving us to tuck away because it's going to be important later. So we're going to keep reading, and we'll get back into the narrative in verse 2. It says this, And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So Ruth and Naomi are settling into the, the town of Bethlehem. They've come back home. And as two widows, they have no one to help provide for them. And so Ruth takes the initiative. She ventures out into the fields to see if she can gather some grain in order to be able to make some bread to feed both herself and Naomi. Now the question arises as we're listening to this, why would she think that she would be able to go take grain from someone else's field? Why would she think that that would even be an option? Well, according to God's grace and in his law, he made a provision and an ordinance for the law of Israel for just such a case. It would help to provide for people in situations like Naomi's and Ruth's. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10, one place that alludes to this, says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. This is an important principle that we find here, that God's law was meant to serve the common good. The common good is the ultimate well-being and flourishing of all of the members of the society. It's the idea that society really functions best if we all have each other's best interest in mind, not simply our own. So the law shows that individuals within Israel have obligations 
and the way that they act towards one another. Don't steal, don't act unjustly, don't withhold money that you promised from someone, don't hate each other. And it's all summed up in one sentence like this, Leviticus 19.18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So this is just another reminder of what we've already seen in Psalm 119, that God gave his law for the blessing of his people. One of the purposes of the law is to restrain evil and to promote goodness, righteousness. Good laws are meant to support the well-being of the individuals within a community by defining and supporting justice. Just make sure that you're aware of this. Graciousness is built into God's law. Let's not forget that. Back to scene one. Remember, this whole narrative is happening in a day that they call the days of the judges. It is a day that it seems like nobody cares about the common good. There's no common good. Who cares about what the law says? Most people care simply about their own self-interest. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? Remember that repeating phrase. Which means that they didn't care about what was right in God's eyes, which means they weren't obeying his law, which means there would be a low probability that a woman like Ruth is going to have any luck finding a landowner who still obeys this part of the law. And yet, Ruth takes the risk. She ventures out to see if there's someone in whose eyes she might be able to find favor. Maybe someone owns a field who is a worthy man. It's interesting. After Ruth tells Naomi her plan, the only response that she gets from Naomi is very brief. She says, go, my daughter. It's possible Naomi's simply just tired from traveling back from Moab. Maybe uh, Naomi's past the age of working in the fields. Maybe she's just emotionally drained. If you remember last, last week from chapter one, she has gone through a lot. And she defines herself by her bitterness at the end there. Maybe she's still resigned to her bitterness. Maybe she's just despondent and detached. Whatever the case, Ruth sets out on her own. In verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. She happened to come to Boaz's barley field. More literally, this phrase is very interesting, it's she chanced to chance upon his field. Uh, It befell to her by chance that she was in the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz. The narrator here is just sort of piling up words together, pouring it on very thick. It just so happens. Wink, wink. Remember, Ruth doesn't know who Boaz is, right? She's just out looking for some help. She just wants to find somebody who would show her some compassion, some sympathy, some generosity. And yet, as luck would have it, she stumbles upon the field of this one worthy man. And we see in verse four that Boaz just so happens to arrive to encounter her as well at the same time. Now the narrator knows full well that this is not a coincidence. This is not chance. It's not a quinky-dink. It might look like it, but it's not. Stick with me for a minute here. There are two different angles that we can look at this from. This particular providential appointment. We can look at this from the creator's perspective And we can think of it from the creation's perspective, or the creature's perspective. 
There's a mysterious interplay between divine and human action, okay? On the human level, Ruth's just out trying to find some food. She's trying to be faithful. She's just trying to get to work. She's not trying to orchestrate anything. She's not manipulating anything. She doesn't even know who Boaz is. She wouldn't even be possible for her to try to orchestrate this meeting. But on a divine level that is completely unknown to Ruth, God has designed the circumstances so that this meeting would happen. Both of these things are happening simultaneously. God is the primary cause of all things, but Ruth is making some true and meaningful decisions, secondary causes, in order to chance upon this particular portion of the field. So theologians call this the doctrine of concurrence. Concurrence, these two things happening at the same time. It's simply the affirmation of what we find taught in scripture, that there are divine and human layers that are involved in the providential governance of history, but nothing happens in this world without God's appointment. But we're, we're standing outside of the narrative to try to make these observations. Let's get back into it. Enter back into Ruth's experience, her time and her place. She has no idea what God is at work doing. And it's not her responsibility to try to find out. This is a good reminder for us. It is not to us to try to figure out what God's hidden secret will is. All that remains to us is to be faithful and obedient to what has been revealed, just like Ruth is. She's not overthinking it. She's just getting to work, one foot in front of the other, trusting the Lord, showing loyalty, showing faithfulness. All right, so Ruth's providential appointment has been orchestrated as she's out searching for food. So let's see how this plays out. This is scene two. When a worthy man meets a worthy woman, verses 4 through 17. And behold, I'll just read verses 4 through 7 here. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young woman, or his young man who is in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, well, she's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. So that first word in verse 4, behold, is actually like an instruction for us. It's an instruction for us to pay close, careful attention to who this Boaz guy is as he's stepping onto the scene of the narrative. And his first words set the temperature right off the bat. He meets his workers, and he says, the Lord be with you. He walks up to the guys working in his field, and the Lord is the first thing on his lips. And the response that he gets from those workers gives us some kind of an indication of what their relationship is between those who are under his care and him. They say, the Lord bless you. So we see already, right off the bat, very quickly, that Boaz is a worthy man. He honors the Lord and his relationships, and he has the respect of those who serve under his authority. And so he shows up to his field, he finds this young woman, a young woman that he doesn't recognize, and so he asks about her. And the man who is in charge of the reapers gives a response where it's kind of funny, he points out twice within essentially one sentence that she's a foreigner. Who is, who is this? Oh, her? Uh, she's the Moabitess who came from Moab. 
Now, she just showed up this morning. She asked for permission to glean uh, from the leftover barley in the field, and she's just been working really nonstop. She only took a rest for a little bit. And now Boaz goes to meet this Moabitess. Verses 8 and 9. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Just notice the way that he speaks to this young, vulnerable widow out in the field. He calls her my daughter, which is a polite term of endearment, obviously, but it also might give us some indication of an age difference that exists between the two of them. And he warns her away from danger. He says, essentially, listen carefully to me. Don't go out in another field. In fact, don't leave this one. And you can just sort of picture him motioning. This is where you need to be. These are the boundaries. Stay here. Stay close to my female servants. Just focus on the field that my servants are working in. Just follow after them. He says, I am commanding the young men under my charge to not touch you. So they are not allowed to assault you or harass you in any way. So he's, he's providing safety for Ruth in this field. He wouldn't be able to, pro- to provide that same level of safety. He couldn't guarantee that if she went to somebody else's field, which is why he tells her to stay on his. And then he tells her to help herself to the water that they drew out of the well when she gets thirsty. You don't have to worry about that. So if you get thirsty, you don't need to go try to find a well somewhere else. You don't have to wander off to stay here, go to the water that's already been drawn. She wouldn't need to leave or wander away. She would be safe under his supervision. Boaz is providing physical protection for Ruth. He draws out clear boundaries of his field to guide her into the protection that he is able to afford her. And notice her response to his kindness in verses 10 through 13. It says, then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground. She says to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So Ruth is responding to this extreme kindness with humility and with gratitude. There's no inkling of presumption at all. There's no entitlement. She's just blown away. Why? Why would you take notice of me? Why would you show me favor? You don't know me from anyone. I'm just a foreigner to Israel. Well, verse 11, though, helps us understand why Boaz is doing this. Boaz has heard of Ruth. He hasn't met her, but he knows about her. He's heard tale. He's heard of how she left Moab in order to cling to her mother-in-law, in order to take care of her. And this is really important. Verse 12, Boaz reports that Ruth has come to take refuge under the wings of Yahweh, who is the God of Israel. Again, we talked about this last week in in chapter one. Ruth committed not only to her mother-in-law, Naomi, 
She is committed to the true and living God. And word got around to this guy, Boaz. He's heard about this young lady named Ruth who's done these amazing things for her mother-in-law and has converted to worship the true and living God. And so he pronounces a blessing on her. It says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you. And here's what we need to notice. The Lord is giving a full reward to her. The Lord is repaying her through the actions of Boaz. He recognizes the worthiness of Ruth. He's heard about it. Now he's witnessing it. He's seeing it for himself. He's going to use that same word about her in chapter 3. He'll call her a worthy woman. She is an upright, excellent woman who understands the importance of commitment, of service, of loyalty, kindness. And her worthiness comes through even in her response and the way that she humbly responds and says, you've comforted me, you've spoken kindly to me, even though I haven't deserved it. So he has heard that she is dedicated to the Lord, she's dedicated to her mother-in-law, and his favor toward her is a response to the kindness that he has heard that she showed to Naomi. He admires her character, and so he's providing an extra level of protection for her. Boaz is embodying the Lord's kindness by moving towards her with favor and with protection and with provision. And we can see it even further in verses 14 through 16. At mealtime now, Boaz said to her, come here, eat some bread, dip your morsel in the wine. And so she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her the roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and then she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even from among the sheaves, don't reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and then just leave it for her to glean and don't rebuke her. So it's later in the day now, it's lunchtime taking a lunch break, and she's invited to join them for the lunch meal. Uh, dipping the, the bread into the vinegar or the wine would have helped to moisten or soften up the bread, add some flavor to it. But we need to picture what this must have been like for Ruth. I mean, I thought my experience in the junior high lunchroom was awkward. But imagine this foreigner standing on this field that she's just a guest at. She doesn't know anybody. You can imagine how she must have felt, like she was on the outside, like Ruth just did not belong. And yet, Boaz, in his kindness and in noticing her, invites her in. And so she sits, and it says she sits beside the workers. So she's now in the circle. There is a social significance to the fact that he invited her in to share in this meal together with his people. There's a social significance to this beyond simply providing some food. And he personally serves her. This, the, the boss of the field personally reaches out with her uh, a heaping pile of some roasted grain, and it's so much that she can't even finish it. She showed up empty, and now her cup is overflowing. Again, we're seeing that the Lord is lavishing his kindness and his provision upon Ruth, through the kind provision of Boaz. Right, so they've had their lunch. After the lunch break, she gets back up. She starts to glean again. And Boaz uses this as an opportunity to give some more commandments, more instructions to his workers, his male servants. He says this, let her glean from among the sheaves. 
In fact, pull out some of the grain of the sheaves and then just leave it there so she can glean those. And don't humiliate her. Don't rebuke her. So this is how this works. The reapers would come in with their, their scythe, their sickle, sickle, is that what it's called? And they would chop down the grain and then they would bundle it up and they would lay it on the ground. And then the women would come up from behind them and gather together those bundles and then tie them together. And those bundles that were tied together were called sheaves. And then the sheaves were this bundle collection of the grain. And that would be carried back into the, the barn, the threshing floor, where it would be processed and, and worked through. It's almost impossible. I'm not a farmer or a harvester. What I understand, it's almost impossible to try to gather every bit of grain from a grain field. Inevitably, you chop some down, and you're going to leave some of it there. It just blends in with the dirt. So those who are poor, those who are sojourners, those who are widows, as we read earlier, they were allowed to come into the field to see if there was anything that was left over, anything that had been left. This is called gleaning. Gleaning. It was not a handout. In fact, if you were going to glean, you had to put in some hard work. Uh, And so the provision, the ordinance that Israel had was to allow people to come and harvest grain for themselves which helped them maintain some sense of dignity. There is great value in a good day's labor and coming home with the fruit of your work. And there's something about the dignity of humanity that sort of needs that. And this provision, this ordinance for Israel was meant to provide just that. So Boaz's instruction comes to his workers. It is instruction that goes well beyond what is required of him. He's obviously going above and beyond. He wants his, his servants to drop a little extra behind him so that she would get all the grain that she ever could possibly need or carry. And Boaz protects her by not letting, letting his workers talk trash against her. Verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And so she she processes this by beating it with a stick, knocking the grain off of the stalks, probably with a stick. And then she measures it, and it turns out that she had collected an ephah of barley. We don't really completely know how much an ephah was, but it was probably somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of grain, which would be enough to feed her and Naomi for at least a week. And so Boaz was going well beyond what was required of him by the law. This was an act of loving kindness shown to Ruth, this vulnerable foreign widow, in part to repay the loving kindness that she had shown to Naomi. So there's an important word that comes up in the book of Ruth. It was mentioned in the first chapter and it appears in the passage that follows just after this. It is the Hebrew word chesed. And it describes the kindness, loving kindness, of this worthy man, Boaz, and this worthy woman, Ruth. They both embody this chesed, loving kindness, a unique kind of love. And it's such a sharp contrast to the sort of male and female relationships that we saw playing out in the book of Judges just before this. That book was filled with relational conflict. This book is filled with relational harmony. And in the next passage here, Naomi sees it, and then she, she labels it appropriately. She uses the word said, bringing it to our attention. So let's look at this final scene here. Naomi rejoices in acts of Hesed. Verses 18 through 23. 
Let me just read 18 and 19 back into our hearing. And she took it up, that is the grain, and Ruth went back into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave to her what food she had left over from being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So Ruth loads up her 40 pounds of grain, uh, give or take, and she goes back home. And she brought a doggy bag full of the leftovers that she had for lunch. And so she left empty, and she comes back with all this grain and leftover food. And so Naomi sees this, and it, it, it looks like Naomi's sort of coming back to life a little bit. Blessed be the man who let you glean this much from his field. Where did you go? This is insane. Where did you come back from with this level of grain? That's the question. Where did you go? Who owns this field? And Ruth answers the question. But the way that it's drawn out and the way that it's laid out in the syntax here, it's almost like she's about to announce the winner of like season five of American Idol. (laughs) So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and she said, the man's name with whom I worked today will be revealed right after this commercial break. No, she says, it's Boaz. We're just like, spit it out already. Say the guy's name. And so now Ruth and Naomi are finally being let in on something that we knew in verse one, right? This tension is being resolved as this detail is being explained. The guy who is being so generous is a relative of Naomi's deceased husband. And now Naomi really springs back to life. Look at 20 to 23. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides, he said to me, you shall keep keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, Uh, It's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvests, as she lived with her mother-in-law. So the fact that Boaz is a a relative of Elimelech means a lot. It means he's part of one of the family's redeemers. Uh, And we're going to dive more into what that means next week in chapter 3, Act three, Lord willing. But for now, I just want to draw attention to what Naomi says here. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, and the word behind kindness there is hesed, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now, hesed is a very important word in the Old Testament, and it is notoriously difficult to narrow down what that one word means in all of its meaning in English. And so here is one stab at what the concept of hesed is. An unfailing kind of love, kindness or goodness. Often the word, when it's used in the Old Testament, refers to God and his own relation to his covenantal loyalty of his own. So when the Lord reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 34, 
He gives that long speech explaining his glory, his character. And he says that he is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in hesed, which we normally see as steadfast love. The word is hesed there, faithfulness. And our actions as his creatures ought to reflect that same level of steadfast love or hesed. And so that's why we read in Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love hesed? to walk humbly with your God. Our kindness should be a reflection of the Lord's kindness. So when you read Naomi's blessing here, uh, there's some ambiguity here. Who is it that she is saying has kindness that has not forsaken the living or the dead? It's unclear in the English, and the reality is it's unclear in the, the Hebrew as well. Is this Boaz's kindness, or is this the Lord's kindness? Now, the syntax allows us to read it both ways. It seems to be an intentional ambiguity, so why not read it both ways? I suggest that we read it through the lens of concurrence, so we can look at it from the divine and the human perspective. The Lord's kindness is the primary cause of Ruth and Naomi's blessing, but the secondary cause is Boaz's kindness because he is reflecting the Lord's chesed and he is embodying that loving kindness chesed for Ruth and for Naomi. He's gonna allow her actually even to continue to glean until the end of the harvest, not even just the barley harvest, but also the wheat harvest. In other words, Ruth went out and made a connection on day one that is going to set her up with food and provide work for her to provide for herself and for Naomi, potentially up to a full year on day one. So Naomi. Naomi had returned from Bethlehem, which we mentioned was the house of bread. She left empty, and she left because of a famine. She had lost her family, but now that famine has ended and she has been given more daily bread in this particular bread than she would have ever dreamt possible. What might this mean for the future of her family? A future that she had assumed would only be filled with darkness and bitterness. She's beginning to turn a corner here. She's, out, she's able to see finally to some degree that she did not actually return empty. She came back with Ruth. And Ruth would be a channel of blessing for Naomi in ways that Naomi could never have anticipated or expected or predicted and is only now beginning to anticipate. Ruth is presented here in this narrative as a worthy woman, a worthy woman. She looks very much like that worthy woman that we read about in Proverbs 31, that she works with willing hands, she provides food for her household, Kindness is on her tongue. She doesn't eat the bread of idleness. Her courage and her strength is a model for women in our day and age to step outside of their comfort zones to work for the common good. And so Ruth is providing a virtuous model for women of diligence and compassion and humility and faithfulness and gratitude and courage and trust, respect, 
resourcefulness, and honesty. And it's important to note as we're reading through this narrative that this was not a religious setting that this was taking place in. This was just out during the daily work. And they were showing this act of, of loving kindness has said towards one another. It's at work, it's at, at family, it is towards outsiders. So it's important to note here that personal tragedies and the disintegration of social fabric does not prevent God's people from demonstrating peace and kindness and generosity towards one another. It's a reminder for us to pursue kindness and goodness towards others at all times, not just on Sunday morning or just for a photo opportunity. Boaz. What we see in this chapter is that Boaz protects and provides for Ruth, and by extension, he's providing and protecting Naomi, and he's been introduced as this powerful person. He would have had the opportunity to take advantage of this random foreign widow who showed up on his field, but he did not use his authority to power or to, to harm. He used his authority and his power to bless. This is what was missing during the days of the judges. The motive of Boaz's heart was not to take advantage of Ruth, but to provide advantage for Ruth. So this is why Boaz strikes us as a worthy man. He was both strong, authoritative, powerful, worthy, and kind. He was committed to God's law, which means that he loves his neighbor as himself. And as a man in authority, he had responsibility toward the common good. He was called to sacrifice his own individual interests and ambitions for the interests of others, particularly those that are under his charge, those on the margins, those that might be overlooked. Boaz was a mighty good man because he embodied the virtues those human virtues, those masculine virtues of gentleness and love and compassion. Boys, young and old, men, this is a high calling. We are to live in such a way that those who are under our care would actually want to be in our presence. To learn from our example, to find comfort in our protection, Strong care is attractive. It's what leadership is really all about. Establishing order, defining the boundaries in order to provide others opportunities to flourish and grow and be blessed. I suggest that the big idea for our sermon this morning is this. The true man protects and provides for the weaker vessel. The T and the M in true man are capitalized on purpose. While Boaz does provide a great example of a godly man, Jesus is the God-man. Every Christian holds to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ as if we were jars of clay. We are each weak vessels, male and female, bruised and broken by the fall. 
And Jesus is the true and better Boaz, who used his power and his opportunity not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, to lay down his rights for the good of others, who moves towards others with compassion and with care, particularly those who are on the margins or in need, who generously protects and provides for his sheep, who abundantly establishes nourishment and guidance and refuge under his wings, and who fulfilled the law from the heart. If you don't know this Jesus, but you're drawn towards the virtuous character of this man Boaz from Bethlehem, of the tribe of Judah, who reaches out with acts of kindness and provides abundantly, you're going to love Jesus. Thanks be to God for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.